This is very exciting. Two years I was in the audience and um, just cried during most of the speakers. So I'm going to try not to cry today, but I just might. Um, the things that have happened to me in the last five years as I uh, went from a joke that I once said to my roommate because I would leave the water running for my cat to drink out of the faucet, don't guilt trip me about the planet, to what I do now every day uh, is an amazing personal transformation um, and one that has left me with a very open heart and thinking very much about justice and reciprocity. And reciprocity really comes from my background in political science that talks about what holds us together as a society and it, that are those bonds that we promise not to hurt each other and not to harm each other and to take good care of each other and to take good care of the commons. And primarily environmental justice is a break with those bonds. And, and before I start, I do wanna say that Physicians for Social Responsibility is not an environmental justice organization, but as Kenny talked about my background I am constantly in a struggle with myself, my organization, my, my conscience to say, I do not have the right to speak for impacted communities, but nevertheless, I come from an impacted community and emerged from a community-based struggle. And so I try to honor and respect the folks that I work with and for. Um, and so when I was preparing this talk, I called folks whose stories I'll be using, um, and they said, go ahead, and we trust you to speak in our name today. Um, <laughs> and they reserve the right to tell me otherwise at another time. Um, and how, uh, how this, this wonderful little thing about the precaution started and became a big thing um, is the magic of organizing and of building relationships. Um, I answered the phone one day and there was Carolyn and I happened to be reading her book. And I'm an L.A. girl and used to seeing celebrities in restaurants and, you know, ignore them and act. I'm just way too cool to act like I know who you are. Uh, but there was Carolyn, and I'm like, oh, you're Carolyn Rapsensperger, and I'm reading your book, and I think it's absolutely wonderful because I started doing this work, and I did not understand risk assessment because it made no sense. But precaution made absolute sense to me. And so I didn't have to learn it. And I never had to say that we can tweak it, we can make it better. I just knew that it isn't the way we should be making our decisions. Um, and that we should be looking at um, to prevent harm. How, do we, how are we careful stewards? How do we foresee and forestall? And so I'm gonna tell you the story of how, um, how we started using precaution as an organizing principle. How it went from a theory and the practice of environmental justice advocates who are saying, why has this happened in my community? Um, and so again, it's full of magic and wonderful moments. Uh, but before I talk about that, I wanna talk again about reciprocity. These social bonds are broken when the public trust is broken, when the commons are disrespected, when our water and earth and our bodies are trespassed. Poverty breaks it, globalization breaks it, Injustices that we live, large and small, every day break it. Chronic and structural lack of opportunities in our community breaks it. It breaks when the current model of environmental decisions are stated basically, polluters and regulators collude and decide and announce and defend, and we must now engage in an 18-month process to say this is not right. That is a bond of reciprocity broken. That bond is restored when communities engage in these meetings despite the rage and anger of what has been done to their communities with hearts full of love and hope that we can 
ensure the public trust, that we can live up to the things my parents came to this country for. And that's what keeps us engaged. I think of the age of engineering and how it broke us. And how instead of asking, should we do this? Is this the best way? Is this the safest? Is this the way that takes care of nature? We said, I can do it if you give me enough lawyers, guns, and money. We've created a world of iron and steel and run it on fossil fuel, and that shatters it. And we shattered that trust and much of our hope when we decided that we should split the atom. And so the theories of precaution are about saying, let's not shatter these, let's make these bonds stronger, let's protect this environment, let's not argue about your science versus my science, let's not argue about decimal points, but instead marshal our intelligence and our science to give us the better alternatives, and that is how we rebuild those bonds. We rebuild those bonds when our public servants take seriously the ethical duty to prevent harm. They give us the gift of hope and trust when they say it is imperative to act to prevent further harm in the face of scientific uncertainty. It is rebuilt when a community comes together to assess alternatives. When we reject one-stop facilitated permitting for power plants, refineries, and incinerators, and freeway expansions, and instead ask communities, how do we move goods in a cleaner, safer way? Um, recently been engaged in a, an amazing uh, community coalition to stop the expansion of the 710 freeway. And so in Long Beach, folks who are impacted with asthma, whose three children have asthma, who are living by the freeway, who stand to lose their homes, came together with folks from East Yard communities in the City of Commerce, where we have the largest rail yard, switching yard, where there's trucks and trains spewing diesel emissions, came together and understood the link between those communities was that freeway and the truck traffic and the diesel, and fought with a, the Oversight Policy Committee that is building this freeway who had not thought about health, who'd simply thought, how do we move these goods and services that are coming into our part faster? And who stood up to the risk assessors who said, well, if we double deck and expand the freeway, it'll reduce pollution because the trucks will move faster. <laughs> um, they forced this oversight policy committee to create a community advisory committee. And la two Thursdays ago, we presented the alternative plan by this community. And a member of the Board of Supervisors said, that's a great plan, but it'll never happen. But it was, again, it was based on scientists working with community folks to come up with the safest, cleanest alternatives and still understand that in our communities, we don't want to be asked to trade off health for the economy, but that economic development is extremely important to our communities and we want to have a say in how it's done. And we want to talk to the experts that are here that are doing it from the heart of nature, who are not trying to bend nature to their will, who are trying to do it, that it's sustainable, that it's equitable, and that we as people of color don't enter into dying industries and defend the most polluting industries, which often happens. Um, I was at a meeting once with one of our elected officials, and as I listened to him, I thought, this is not why I was part of the civil rights movement. I was not part of the civil rights movement so a Latino could get elected who would then destroy the zero emission vehicle program. That is not why we struggled. 
And as Kenny mentioned, I'm a member of a number of boards, and I have to say, being on the SEND board is never a contradiction. Um, but every now and then, being on the board of some organizations is, because we make those choices. Do we want power now, power so we can say we're players in decision-making and decisions, or do we want power to truly transform? And one of the biggest sort of problems I had when I was coming to do this talk was that in California, we have, in the last few months, um, really faced serious dilemmas and conflicts with our traditional, or maybe not so traditional, allies in the environmental community. As we face, what are the trade-offs? What do we really want? How do we want to get there? And do we need to be reasonable? How much compromise is necessary? And I don't know that I have the answers, but I'm really struggling with this along with many of the other environmental justice advocates that we work with. Um, it is not reasonable to ask communities of color to sacrifice their air quality so that globally we can say it's gotten better through emissions trading. Um, these are not reasonable alternatives. As a healthcare advocate, I can't separate the fact that health is color-coded in this country, and that to talk about environmental justice is to talk about access to care uh, and quality care in communities. I work in communities where there is no community clinics. And so as we struggle forward about precaution and foreseeing and forestalling damage, one of the things that we must also begin to embrace in this revolution from the heart of nature is that we have to fix our healthcare system. People must have access to health care. It is the cornice, health is a right. It is not a privilege. And it is the responsibility of government. Just like protecting our environment is that responsibility. And it's our absolute duty to be involved. And I talked earlier about relationships. Form them now. Go and do your work. And remember this idea of a world where we have shifted this burden of proof from communities to the proponents of activities. In California, that last year we had a bill called Where's Waldo? Wasn't the best name, but we liked it. It was a way of telling the chemical companies, you must give us the analytical tools so we know what the fate of your chemicals are in water, soil, in our bodies. We want to begin to build a legislative agenda that won't compromise on these issues that sees the bigger picture and understands that we can't wait 10 years, that change must happen now, that we must not think of transition, but a replacement of our fossil fuel age. Communities of color understand this, and while they may not be politicized to be able to have a dialogue with us about globalization and about many of the topics we'll be talking about, they live it every day in the understanding that their child has asthma, and they live near that port, or they live near that truck stop, or they're living near that freeway. And it is honoring that lived experience and the way we live chemicals that fueled our, our struggle to get the precautionary principle written into the California EPA environmental justice guidelines. And the struggle began with a workshop we held in Los Angeles. And, and that workshop actually came about because Carolyn asked me to be on her board, and I thought, I'm getting to play with the big kids when I'm sitting in a room with Ted Shetler and Carolyn Rapsensperger and Peter Montague. And I, you know, 
if you, when you get to know me, I'm kind of an outspoken person, and I said, why are you just doing this in the East Coast? Why, why don't you do this in the West Coast? And you do it in LA, and you know, we'll do it with, with people of color, and it'll be grassroots folks. And, and then I had, we had to actually organize it. And I, um, <laughs> but it did happen uh, with a number of groups, and it was a magical day that many of us still remember, and we remember it because it changed the way we work. It changed people's lives. And I remember uh, my friend Cynthia Babich, who uh, emerged as a leader because she lived in a community that was built uh, next to a, a DDT plant and a styrene plant. And um, the struggle she went through to clean up that community and to get community members moved out, and how she often felt like she was crazy when she would go to DTSC and felt wrong. And at the end of the workshop, she came up and she grabbed my arm and she said, OK, I know I'm not crazy. Thank you so much. Um, and those stories, four years after that workshop, continue to happen. The seeds that were sown at that workshop, we began to see grow at the first Cal EPA Environmental Justice Advisory Committee, when over 40 people that day who testified said, we need precaution. And then they'd come talk to me and said, can you do another workshop? Because we're still not quite sure what it is. <laughs> but we know we want it, and we want it right now. Um, and, you know, because it is sort of this, like, well, what does it exactly mean? And now we're trying to figure out how doing alternatives assessment in communities and fighting for the right for community to define those alternatives is, is part of implementing precaution. Um, another thing we're doing is looking at how we develop community benefits plans. So if a proponent of an activity, so for example, the expansion of the Staples Center, there was a group who negotiated what the mitigation factors and what the community benefits were, including if there were going to be jobs, they were going to stay there, that they weren't temporary jobs, and that there weren't going to be jobs that were going to go to bedroom communities outside of the communities that were impacted. Those ways of organizing community to say this is a better way of doing it, if there's going to be risks and benefits, we want to decide what those are. We have an absolute right to decide how much risk we're willing to take on. And the other part that's missing, that is the next step for our movement, is to truly understand alternatives. And part of what we gain here is to understand what that future looks like. And it is the folks who spoke earlier about how we can do things better, understanding how to work with nature, not bend it, take care of it, foster it, have reciprocal trust and hope in it that it will get us out of this mess and that we will learn with all our technology to clean up our mess. Um, some of the other things that we've done through the California environmental uh, justice process is we, we got we won that victory of precaution and you know it was a big fight with industry and so we couldn't call it precautionary principle. So it became the precautionary approach. Um, and the other element that we won is that we actually put in there that they must begin to address this issue of how we actually live everyday exposures, cumulatively, not one by one. And that we don't have to wait till we have the sci scientific methods to measure cumulative effects, because somehow the industry said, well, we can't measure it. They must not exist, so we can't deal with them. So on September 29th of last year, they were signed. and. Again, the battle continues. And so now we're in the process of defining what those pilot projects are that will define what this precautionary approach for California is. But in the meantime, we've had some small and wonderful and sometimes bizarre victories for precaution. 
So at a recent hearing on global warming guidelines, a member of the, Air, of the South Coast Air Quality Management District told the Air Board, we should have more precautionary approaches. Uh, and so he, this is a regulator admonishing another regulatory agency saying, you should have more precaution in your policies. That was amazing. When the governor recently signed the bill to eliminate mercury from immunizations, he said, we must act with, and I'm not going to do the accent because I just can't do it. Um, we must act with an abundance of caution to protect the health of children. We like that. We like that. An abundance of caution. The, the story of the LA Unified School District started when there was a group called Pesticide Watch who had already been trying to implement integrated pest management in schools and had started to doing some organizing. And then one day, uh, a mother uh, of a child from LAUSD, Robina Saul, was walking her child, to, uh, dropped off her child. He walked through a, a mist of pesticides that were being sprayed 8 o'clock in the morning when kids are being dropped off. And he turned around and said, Mom, it tastes awful. And Robina is an amazing and relentless organizer. Um, she managed um, with good timing and the support of one of uh, PSR physicians and the Californians for Pesticide Reform and Pesticide Watch to create uh, what is now the California Safe Schools Coalition. And within a year of that incident, we had one of the best integrated pest ma management policies in the country, one whose preface or preamble was the precautionary principle. And how it worked, again, was the question uh, using the best available science, well, if EPA is the best available science, but we did use their science, we said, is it a known reproductive toxin? Is it a known carcinogen or probable carcinogen? Is it a developmental toxin? Why are we using this around kids? Is there an alternative? So we took the li a list of 126 chemicals to about 34. Um, all the elements of precaution are there. This idea of acting even in the face of scientific uncertainty to protect children's health, promoting alternatives, and democratic participation. There is a 10-member team that meets once a month and discusses what will be done with IPM. There is a built-in watchdog function. Uh, it isn't perfect. It's a huge school district. But yet, it has managed to be a model for how you implement precaution, how you make sure there's democratic participation, implementation. And the way we have moved that institution has been an amazing thing. And it's five years, once a month meetings. I'm about to step down from, from that team to, so that someone else can, can begin to, to be part of that process. Um, and it, it is amazing to see the resistance from the district to where it is now, where they get calls from all over the countries, and it's something that they can say, we're the star of. Um, again, those magical things that make policies work, that get buy-in from people, um, it is an amazing story. This is about protecting children. It is about avoiding unnecessary exposures, um, which seems very difficult to to get people to understand. We tried again to go back to the legislature with a ban on pesticides, and um, ag uh, was not going to let it happen. We are trying to decide what to do next. But the battle within Californians for pesticide reform to implement precaution, better safe than sorry, better alternatives, continues, as it does with many of the organizations that we work with. And again, inspired by this idea that we can and should do better that pollution shouldn't be profitable, um, and that we should be looking for ways to make communities healthier. Um, again, all of that came out of that one workshop with Precaution where we all knew 
We're not crazy. Risk assessment is crazy. Thank you.